the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, part of having a steadfast, unmovable faith is learning that tribulations will come. It's part of the deal. God warned us so. Praise to the God who reigns above. But he also told us that our trust in him wouldn't be for nothing. You know, that when we are steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in his work, that we don't labor in vain, that there is a reward for us. And descends in perfect love. Do you know that your feelings aren't truth? Oh, they're strong, but they aren't truth. Even sight isn't truth because it's limited. We don't have all the information because I can't see everything. Holy Here's the truth. God is for us. He's not against us. But your precious life you Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Moses had not budged after God called him to go to Egypt to be used to set the Israelites free. God wanted Moses to lead the people out of Egypt into the land that God had promised their fathers before. But Moses was slow to move to God's call. Finally, Moses starts making his journey to Egypt. On the way, something strange happens. Here we pick up with Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Verse 24. Now it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband are you to me. She is British. So he let him go, and she said, Some people are just starting to get it. Yeah, it's okay. So he let him go. That's God. God let him go. And then she said, A bloody husband you are because of the circumcision. Now, I don't need to explain any of this. We'll just go right on to verse 27. You know, there's those moments when you're reading your Bible... And you just kind of put it down for a moment and go, okay, God, uh, what in the world's going on there, you know? I mean, because here's the truth, and maybe I'm just kind of weird in my thinking, but I'm thinking, God, you had a lot better reasons to kill him before this. I don't talk very well. You're like, ah, you know, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> Fine, I'll blah, get somebody else. But here, it just comes out of the blue. And my mind is thinking, he's finally doing what you asked him to do. Why are you going to kill him? So I came to pass, by the way, in the end, it's even in a nice venue, too, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. The word there, met, means to approach or confront. God confronts Moses specifically to kill him. Now, some have stated that Moses became deathly ill. That's why she has to perform the circumcision. He's not physically able to. I don't know if that's the case. I've always pictured it as a little bit more direct. Call it my author's mind that makes all sorts of things interesting. But either way, why would God want to kill him now that he's finally on his way? Well, verse 25 and 26 gives a bit more insight to what is going on here. 
For it says that as God's about to kill him, that then Zipporah, his wife, takes a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. Now, I'm glad that medicine has at least gotten more modernized than that. What's going on here? And then she threw it at his feet and threw a tantrum. So Zipporah circumcises his son. Now, my first thought is, how old is this guy? I don't know. Moses is 80. He's been married to her for, we don't know, but it could be 40 years or 39 or whatever years. I don't know how long their courtship was. So I don't know if they had children late in their marriage. I don't know if these are still young boys. And then the other thought is, well, what about the other kid? Was he circumcised already? I mean, is it possible that when they had their firstborn, that Moses Moses circumcised him and Zipporah said, never again, you're you're one of us now and we don't do that thing. And that's horrible. We don't do that stuff. So maybe that's what happened. But for whatever reason, one of them is circumcised and one of them's not. And that's why God's going to kill him because he has not circumcised his second or first. I don't know which one, whichever one it is, one of his boys. You might be saying, why would you do that, God? Well, turn over to Genesis 17 with me. It is quite significant. And you're familiar with this story. In Genesis 17, Abraham has tried his own method. And they bring about Ishmael, and that doesn't go well. And so God finally comes to Abram, and he says to him, Listen, you need to start walking with me again, and I'm going to make my covenant with you. And so verse 4 of chapter 17 of Genesis, he says this, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name any more be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made you, and I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. Remember, he doesn't have any kids at all yet. And I will establish my covenant, verse 7, between me and you and your seed or descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. So this is something that's supposed to be passed down from every descendant of Abraham. And this is the covenant, that I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger, a foreigner, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, you shall keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you in their generations. How? Verse 10. This is my covenant you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So Genesis here explains the significance of of circumcision. God promised two things. I'll be your God and I will give you this land. And every time families circumcised their child, they were declaring their agreement and their faith in that plan. That God, you are our God and that you're going to give us this land. That was what was understood every time they circumcised their child. Moses doesn't do that. Moses obeys God's call, but here we see he's still not 100% on board. And I think God finally just says, you know, enough is enough, Moses. You can't lead the people where you won't go yourself. If you won't believe and accept my promise that I'm going to be your God and I'm going to give you this land and you don't really think I'm going to do it, then how on earth are you going to be able to lead Israel? They're going to find out your kids aren't circumcised. I think the Lord just finally was coming to Moses and saying, you know what, Moses, either you're on board or you're not. Make your decision now. Now, if God is calling you to do something, you need to make sure your spouse is on board before you start because this is where the problem comes in. The reason Moses hadn't done it is because it created a problem between them. She obviously thought this was not a very nice thing to do. And she thinks, you know, a husband of blood are you? You just have a fascination with bloodshed and violence and whatever. You know, I've known leaders who had to step down because their wives never wanted to make the necessary sacrifices that a leader's family must make. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but you need to be on the same page. 
If you're ready, but your spouse isn't ignoring the issue, isn't going to make it go away. That's what Moses did. You know, if you're a couple and, and, and you're not on the same page, you need to talk, pray, seek the Lord, and get on the same page together, and then obey him together. Moses should have led his wife into this. Now, I have a rule that if, if Beverly and I don't agree on it, we don't do anything yet. And there's been times when I thought to myself, man, you know, she needs to get on board with this. I'm sure she's had times she's thought that about me. He needs to get on board with this. But we don't move until we're in full agreement so that when we do move, we're moving forward together. And that was something Moses should have taken care of before he left. So God seeks to kill him, and thankfully, he finally circumcises his child, or she does at least, and so God's, the Bible says God let him go. And so, but she's still very upset about this. In fact, she'll be a, a problem later on, not on her own accord, but it's just, you know, when you're, when you're a leader, man, you, you, your family's going to be in the, in, in the target zone for the enemy. You know that, right? I always tell young people, you know, when they have, feel like they have a call of God upon your life, I say, you realize there's a price to pay. You know, whoever you marry, there's, there's gonna, and the kids that you have, there's going to be a bullseye on them because the enemy is going to want to take them out. Now, the cool part is, is that anytime God calls you, he's going to call your spouse. He's going to call your kids to it too. So he's going to equip you and give you what you need to do. But it's important that you make sure you pay attention and you're aware of the fact that the enemy's after you. Or sometimes God is, I guess. <laughs> Verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. Now, in the previous chapter, in verse 14, when Moses says, I don't want to go, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not now Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he comes forth to meet you, right? So if Aaron's already on his way, why does it say here that God says to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses? And then he went. Uh, in fact, if you go to atheist websites, a lot of times they'll list this as one of the contradictions of the Bible. Now, what does 427 mean here then? Well, does it mean that God already knew? He, he knew he'd tell Aaron to come, and that's why he was letting Moses know that that was already going to happen because he already knew he was going to tell him? Or is it possible that this verse is hearkening back to the time when God already knew Moses would decline to be the deliverer before it happened? And he asked Moses to come beforehand. You know, is it possible that he understood in that conversation with Moses that Moses wasn't going to agree? And that it would come to the place where they would say, hey, Moses, fine, you don't want to go, I'll send Aaron with you. And he'd already asked Aaron to come. Either way, it points out the fact that God knows the future because he knew Moses would decline to be the deliverer before it happened. And he asked Aaron to come beforehand. Either explanation, it's no longer a contradiction. Now, we're first introduced to Aaron early in the chapter, but this is the first time we actually meet him. Now, I don't know how he got free from Egypt. Did he run away? Did he purchase freedom somehow? Did Moses' family have special status since Moses belonged to Pharaoh's daughter and the royal family? Did Egypt give vacation time to slaves? I don't know. Were I a slave, I would be saying, you know, my vacation time, I would take an eternal vacation. I wouldn't come back. But the Bible doesn't tell us. In fact, I tried studying everywhere to find out how he got free. The rabbis don't mention anything about it either. So I think the main discussion here that we should be having, though, is, is, is that God kept his word, right? That he would meet Aaron. I mean, that's a miracle, isn't it? Can you imagine what it was like for Moses and his family to be walking up and, nah, 
Really? And then to meet? I mean, look at what happens when they meet. Verse 20, I mean, they, they meet, they kiss. That's the whole oriental greeting of the side kiss. And then it says, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord. This is the first mention we have of him telling somebody everything that happened in the burning bush. All the words of the Lord who had sent him. And then he told him about all the signs which he, which he commanded them. I don't know if he went like, check this out. I don't know. But I mean, this is a moment where they, they share. I'm sure that this uniting was pretty interesting. It had to be cool for Moses to say, you know, hey, God told me you were coming. And Aaron to go, yeah, he told me to come for them to collide like that after not seeing each other for 40 years. And so mutually encouraged, they head together into Egypt to tell their people the great news. Verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. They get there, and it works out just like God said. Aaron is the spokesman. Not only that, he actually performed the miracles with the staff, which is kind of interesting. We're actually going to find that Aaron's the one with the staff on most occasions at the start here. Later on, we'll see Moses with it. You know, I think verse 31 is such an awesome moment, because here they see that God loves them, that he has cared about them, that he has plans to rescue them, just as he promised Abraham. And so as we move into chapter 5, there's almost this sense of tension of here comes an awesome moment and all of that air is about to be let out. Verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. A holy festival of celebration. Three days is what God had told him to say to Pharaoh. Three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So, so far they do exactly what God says. The request is not even close to unreasonable. The Israelites would not have weapons, they wouldn't have arms, and they wouldn't have the ability to escape once they got to the feast site. You know, I mean, look how good a job they did when they actually got free. They ran into a corner. They were, the Red Sea's in front of them and two mountains are next to them. And now the Egyptian army comes and boxes them in. So they weren't exactly, with that many people, with children and everything like that, they weren't going to be able to get away. So this is not an unreasonable request. Now you might be saying, well, why did God do that instead of letting the people go? And again, I think it was God's mercy on Pharaoh in Egypt. I, I think he was trying to ease Pharaoh into the idea, you know? Say, hey, let him go for a little bit. I can still take care of Egypt. I can still take care of you. You know, sometimes I wish our government officials would realize that. God can take care of us. And our way is not the best way, but his way is. One can hope. Even though it's doable, this Pharaoh isn't someone who likes to listen to God or man. And he's certainly not in favor of allowing something that would restore dignity to a downtrodden people. Verse 2. And Pharaoh said, I can almost barely say these words because they're so blasphemous and so proud. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. Now, who is an important question because it's who in relation to him. See, Pharaoh was considered, not this Pharaoh, but every Pharaoh was considered the earthly representation of Horus, the son of Ra. Ra was the Egyptian creator god and their chief deity. Thus, Pharaoh was the son of God. That was his title. In fact, an ancient inscription by one Pharaoh says about himself, I am that which was and is and shall be. A little eerie, huh? Yeah, tell me Satan's not involved there. Well, as such, he didn't listen to the command of men or even other gods save Ra himself. And so he certainly wasn't going to listen to some god that's not a part of his pantheon that he's never heard of before. 
He said, I don't know who the Lord is, and why should I listen to him even if I did? I don't know who he is, and I'm not letting the people go. Well, (laughs) Moses and Aaron, look at their response. And they said, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray you, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Semicolon, waiting for Pharaoh to kind of go, okay, okay, fine. But then when he doesn't, look at what they do. I think they panic. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Where is that in any of God's instructions? Do you know what that is? That's a threat to Pharaoh. You don't let us go, you're going to lose your slave labor because he'll kill every one of us. Listen, I always ask the question, did they show Pharaoh the signs? That's what they were supposed to do when he said no, right? God said, he gives the instructions. Okay, here's what you do. When you go before Pharaoh, do all these wonders which I have put in his hand, but a heart is hard and he won't let the people go. Did they do it? It doesn't say. Now, I don't think they did because God tells Moses to perform the signs the next time he meets with Pharaoh. He makes a point telling him, make sure you do the signs. And that's in chapter seven when that happens. I think they panicked. I think at some point in all the excitement, the people accepting their message and meeting Aaron and all of that, that Moses forgets all the part where God said, he's gonna say no. And I'm gonna have to bring you out by my mighty hand. I think Moses and Aaron, I think they panic. I think they threaten Pharaoh by saying that God's going to kill off his slave labor if he doesn't comply. Because I could never imagine God telling Moses to say those words. And you know what, Moses? When he says no, tell him that if you don't let him go, I'm going to kill all my people. Does that sound like something God would say? Doesn't to me. Doesn't to me at all. Not when he's already warned Moses beforehand that Pharaoh isn't going to agree to this plan. See, God says, if he says no, I'm going to smite Egypt, not Israel, with many miracles. But Moses and Aaron say here that God's going to smite his own people with miracles if they don't, if he doesn't comply. And you know what? Pharaoh sees right through that bluff. Verse 4. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Why do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work? Why do you, the word there, let, means to set free or cause disorder by loosing someone from a task. Why why do you cause chaos by setting all the people free, thinking they can do what they want to do? Go get you to your burdens. And then Pharaoh said, behold, is now he turns to his own leaders. Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them, uh, I'm sorry, he says that to Moses and Aaron, and you make them rest from their burdens. You want them to put an end to their slave labor. And so what does an arrogant ruler do when he feels his powers being threatened? He squeezes tighter. Verse 6. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore, as you did beforehand. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail or the number of the bricks which they did make beforehand, you shall lay upon them. Even though they got to go get the straw themselves, they need to make the same amount of bricks. Verse 7. You shall no more give the people straw to make brick as beforehand. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail of the bricks of which they did make heretofore, you shall lay upon them. You shall not diminish any of it thereof, for they are idle. The word there, it literally means lazy. The people have grown lazy. So he says to them, Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Verse 9. Let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. So taskmasters enforced the policy. The taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go you, get you straw where you can find it, yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. You've got to make the same amount of bricks. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. Now, stubble would be the wasted part or the thrown away part of the grain stalk. 
prior to this, the government of Egypt purchased the straw from you know, their, the, the people that were in the, that kind of market for the task. They'd bring it to them. But now Israel would have to scavenge the land for all the leftovers, all the wasted product to make their bricks. Verse 13, And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when we gave you straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. So now the leaders get beaten. And it was demanded of them, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as you did beforehand? Verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came, and they cried unto Pharaoh, saying, why have you done this unto your servants? Why are you dealing? Why are you treating us like this? There is no straw given to your servants, but they say to us, make brick. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is yours. They don't bring us the straw. What does Pharaoh say to them? <laughs> you know what? You are idle. You are idle. You are a bunch of lazy bums. That's why I've done this. And that's why you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. So go therefore now and work. You, your appeal is rejected for there shall no straw be given you yet shall you deliver the same count of bricks. The officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case, that they were in trouble. When it was said, you shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. So they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way. Literally, that means they stood in their way. They're leaving Pharaoh and and Moses and Aaron said, you can't can't go, we got to fight. And look at what they say. (laughs) They stood in their way as they came forth from Pharaoh and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge. They are angry at Moses and Aaron, and they blame them for this, because you have made our scent, our savor, to be abhorred, to stink in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Moses and Aaron created a problem when they created their own method of trying to get Pharaoh to change his mind. See, this was God's battle, but Moses and Aaron made it their fight. And the leaders of Israel knew they had no chance if that was the case. And they shoved them aside. They said, I hope the Lord has seen what you've done and he punishes you. You know, where did all that faith go in 431? What happened? Well, that faith was based in the miracles Moses showed them, not in God's promise of what he'd do. And so when opposition came, it faltered. You know, part of having a steadfast, unmovable faith is learning that tribulations will come. It's part of the deal. God warned us so. But he also told us that our trust in him wouldn't be for nothing. You know, that when we are steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in his work, that we don't labor in vain, that there is a reward for us. Well, how does Moses respond to this setback? Verses 22 and 23, he accuses God of three things. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore, or why have you so evil entreated this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Three things, he says. Number one, you have evil entreated this people. The word there means to be the cause of hardship, to mistreat, or even do wicked things. These are three things we frequently accuse God of. Number one, we say, God, you're against me. And we say, oh, you made a mistake. He says, why did you send me? You made a mistake. We say that to him too. And thirdly, we accuse him. We say, you haven't done anything to help me. That's what Moses says to God. But you know what? All three of those things are never true, even though it may look like it to you. Do you know that your feelings aren't truth? Oh, they're strong, but they aren't truth. Even sight isn't truth because it's limited. We don't have all the information because I can't see everything. Here's the truth. God is for us. He's not against us. God can't fail, so he doesn't make mistakes. And God is working on your behalf right now. You just don't see it. Part of maturing as a believer is, 
means that we've learned to trust God when we don't see him. Isn't that the whole theme of Hebrews 11? And by faith, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith. Those were all moments where they didn't see what God was doing, but they trusted him and did it anyway. Nothing happened in chapter five that God didn't say would happen, right? Nothing. This is not a surprise. Yet everyone passed the buck in panic. Israel blames Moses. Moses blames God. But this sets the stage for one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture, one that triggers the beginning of Moses' growth into the mighty man of God he'll become. And what is it? Look at chapter 6, verse 1, just the first part. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh. And I get chills just reading that. He says, You had enough doing this your way? And the Lord says, you tried to fix this on your own with a a quick fix, but I told you there'd be opposition. You didn't listen to my words, only the parts you wanted to hear. Now, if you're ready, let me show you what I'm going to do. And you got to come back next week to find out. So I often get frustrated when bad things happen. Why, God, why is this happening? And yet God warned us that bad things would happen. You know the promise, John 16, 33. In this world, you shall have tribulation. I claim that promise every day. It's a joke, I don't. You don't either. (laughs) I know you don't, because none of us do. But it's a promise of God. In the world, you shall have tribulation. God hasn't tricked you because you're going through a hard time. You simply ignored the part, like Moses ignored the parts God told him that he didn't want to hear. This verse has a second part, though. But be of good cheer, because what? I've overcome the world, right? Not you'll overcome, but I've overcome. See, being an overcomer means you and I need to accept the first part of that verse, that trouble is coming, but God is going to rescue us. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we recognize this evening that trouble is coming. It's just a part of life. We don't live in a perfect world, and we wrestle against an enemy. We wrestle against our own tendency to sin. And Lord, the philosophy of the world is opposed to us as well. But the truth is, Lord, that even though we have to be aware that trouble's coming, we know that you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, we need you to do that in our lives. We need to learn to rest in you. And so help us to take your whole word to heart, even the parts that are hard to hear at times, even the parts that challenge us of what's coming, that, Lord, some men may hate us. Some men might persecute us. Lord, that our government might not like us very much. They might even arrest us someday. But the reality is you're still God, you're still working, and you still win. Help us to remember that, Lord, all your promises, that every word matters. In Jesus' name, amen. We are supposed to be obedient to God in faith. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. You may not see how things are going to work out. You may think you are unqualified for the task God has called you to. And this all may even be true. But God is greater than our weaknesses and shortcomings. And He is merciful to see us through every situation. All we must do is trust Him. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. 
You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.